Did you know that over 50% of the church membership is single? That's why Faith Matters and Leading Saints are joining forces to produce the Single Saints Virtual Summit. This online event is focused on helping Latter-day Saints more deeply understand the complexities of being a single adult in our faith community. In this summit, you'll learn from 10 to 15 presenters, mostly single adults, who share their unique perspectives on how we can better understand the single adult experience and feel more equipped to unite with them in our worship. For more information about the Single Saints Virtual Summit and how to register for free, text the word LEAD to 474747. Again, text the word L-E-A-D to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash singleadults. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various ways, including this very podcast that you're listening to. I hope you subscribe. Maybe leave us a review while you're at it. And I think you'll enjoy the content you find on this podcast. And then jump on over to leadingsaints.org and you'll find thousands of articles dedicated to leadership context as it relates to uh, being a Latter-day Saint. Uh, We have virtual summits that we've done. Check us out on social media and also a weekly newsletter that goes out that has unique content you won't find anywhere else. So uh, jump into the Leading Saints world. We're glad to have you. I'm coming to you from the JKB building on the campus of Brigham Young University in Provo. That's the Jesse Knight building. I have no idea who Jesse Knight was completely, but my guest probably does, who's Bruce Chang. Bruce, who is Jesse Knight? Well, Kirk, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Knight was one of their early founders, a very important person. Nice. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. <laughs> See, I, I threw a soft, or I, I threw a curveball at you at the beginning here. But now, uh, Bruce, you are uh, you're con- very well connected to a, a celebrity, a leading saint celebrity, as I like to tease him about, and that is Rob Farrell. Who anybody I've met on the campus here, it's, we're recording this during Education Week, and so I've run into several individuals who are uh, in the leading saints audience, and I say, hey, you know what? What episode has resonated most? They say, oh, it's that. YSA stake president. I said, Rob Farrell. He's like, yeah, that's it. And now you, when Rob Farrell was a stake president of a YSA stake, you were his counselor or one of his counselors. Yeah, I was his first counselor nice. and uh, we became fast friends. If yeah. I may, I want to share a quick experience. Yeah. So my wife and I got this phone call and we we were asked if we, we could go to meet, have an, have an appointment. I said, well, who is it for and, or what is it for? Well, we'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> oh boy, one and of I those. Thought, yeah, one of those. So we show up, and I thought, I promise that I did not teach any false doctrine. <laughs> I don't know what general authority is going to come. Because you you and, teach in the seminaries and institute. Uh, that's your, like your job, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, so the door opens, and we get escorted in. It is it's Elder Cook, uh, along with another man we did not recognize. Later, we found out it was Rob. Feral. Okay. So he's just a mysterious guy in mysterious the corner. Mysterious guy in the corner. I thought maybe he's one of those. He's the the accused. I'm the, I'm, I'm the accused, right? <laughs> so I'm facing this man. And the other cook said, welcome. Tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. So I looked at my wife and she looked at me and she went first. And then I went, introduced ourselves. And uh, when you're with a general authority, you just do more listening than you do talking. So he said, hey, we're thinking about starting a brand new young single doll stake in this area. And 
And with a smile, I think he was being um, humorous. He said, jokingly, if we were to start this brand new steak, what do you think would be an average marriage um, goal that we should have in the steak per year? So I looked at my wife. She looked at me with the look that only a wife can give, like, hey, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> and so I... I thought, well, 25, that's too low, 100, you're a dreamer. But I've always been taught this by uh, a few of my mentors who said, when you're with mission president, when you're with stake president, when you're with the general authority, be yourself. Don't stand up and straighten out your tie and be someone you're not. Yeah, love that. So I said, with all due respect, Elder Cook, I can't think of a number, but I don't think we should quantify the success of young single adults by a number of marriages. Rather, we should focus on helping them become better disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then higher sacrament attendance and higher temple attendance work will occur. And as a result, two righteous people through the Spirit will fall in love and get married. That's the fruit of becoming a disciple in the young single adult stake. Then I sat back and I thought, and he was quiet. He just kind of looked at me and I just kind of said, well, that's just my opinion. And he put his hands on my knee and said, well done. Because you cannot set goals and infringe upon other people's agencies. So then he said, I, I need to go do something. I'll be right back. So the man follows him. And I sat there and I looked at my wife and I said, man, I've done it. I should have said a number. Why didn't I say a number? <laughs> I should have concurred. So um, he came back about a, two minutes later, and he pulled his chair forward, and he said, Brother Chang, with all the love in my heart, the Lord is calling you to serve as a counselor in the newly formed Young Single Dollar Stake Presidency. Will you accept? The spirits in the room, I looked at my wife again, and she was in tears, and we both felt the spirit like this is what we're supposed to do. Obviously, the thought will creep into your mind, as all of us do. Shouldn't they call someone that has like gray hair, or a little more, you know, <laughs> established or empty nesters? So we we went for a ride, and uh, it's been wonderful. I've learned a lot from my friend Rob Farrell and all the young single adults. We get. A, an opportunity to associate with. Yes, yeah. so so you you knew nothing of Rob Farrell at that point. He knew nothing about you. They were just sort of bringing in various individuals, or or, or the, considering certain people that maybe he didn't know, but that's why he was in the room so he could get a feel for who he was actually uh, calling as his counselor. That's correct. Nice, nice. Now, g give me a little bit more about your background because uh, you're an immigrant to the U.S. Is that right? That's correct, and I'm here legally, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, my, my dad's from China, and he, he would have been 96 this year, but he's passed away. Hmm. So he, he went to Taiwan, and that's when the borders were closed, um, and he was not allowed to go back home. So for 25 years, he wasn't allowed to go back home to see his family. He missed his mom and his dad's funeral. That was very difficult for him. But he was in Taiwan, met my mom. They got married. They have nine children. I'm the youngest of nine children. And they felt like uh, every one of their children ought to have a out-of-country experience. So everyone left, left somewhere after high school except for me. So at the tender age of 12, my mom sends me. We will go to Hawaii and then later to Washington State. And I live with an American family. And so then, your, your parents are back in Taiwan. It yeah, is, because uh, of visa issues, they can't stay. So I stay, and um, that's where I got baptized as nice. a member of the church. Wow. And did your any of your other family members uh, ever get baptized? Or? No, just me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what uh, was there a moment when you were introduced to the missionaries, or how did how, what, what was the moment in that conversion experience? All right. I'll tell this quick experience. I, I uh, had friends that would invite me to to go to church, and if I remember going one time, um, they said, we're going to play basketball. And when you were growing up, everyone wanted to be Michael Jordan. So I was like, yeah, I'll call it play. <laughs> then we drive up to the church, and my first thought was, what are we doing here? Until they open up the double doors, and I see this gym, and I said, wow, this is amazing. Is your bishop in the NBA? No, he's, <laughs> he worked for the bank. He doesn't even play basketball. 
And that was my introduction to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Wow. And been and, going ever since. And, and did it take long for walking in that court to walking into the font? Four years. Four years? Okay. Yes. So you were 16 at that point? or uh, I was 17. Okay. And um, four, four to five years, somewhere around there. Um, missionaries started to work with me. And they were very kind, very patient. And when they had extended the invitation for me to get baptized, I felt right about it. But they mm -hmm. said, oh, you have to call your parents. So I called my parents long distance. Okay, so but I want to make sure during these four years or whatever, you're just living as a, like a foreign exchange type of student? or That's correct. With, with that's the same correct. family during those, those that's, years? That's correct. And that family was not Latter-day Saints? Um, the, the mom was... Like I said, I a lot of my friends at school were members of the church, and I found something just really unique about them, and I just yeah um, fell in love with them. Okay, so then comes the day you have to call long distance to Taiwan to get permission from your parents. Yeah. I was scared. I called up. We talk. We make small talk. You can tell that when your children need something, they're really <laughs> sweet. Yeah. So... I, I call home and I was really sweet and, and gentle. And then I, I said, "Hey, I've been going to this American church, and uh, they've been really, they've been really good for me. And I made all these friends. Oh, that's nice. Well, I was thinking about joining them. Well, what do you mean join them? I said I want to get baptized. Absolutely not. <laughs> we're, we're Buddhists, and we don't join the American church. And of course, as a in the Chinese culture, you're you're very obedient to your parents. You you honor and respect them. So I said okay, and I went back and told the missionaries. You could tell they were sorely disappointed. <laughs> like call again, right? Like again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but they were respectful. I still went to church, and I felt something missing in my life. And then they would come and read the Book of Mormon with me, and we got to the point where we read about Ammon, where he had the courage to talk to the king. And that kind of got to me. And the thought that came to my mind was, you need to ask again. So that night I called long distance and talked to my dad, my mom. And I talked to her for a while. And I said, Mom, why, why is it that you and Dad won't let me join this church? They don't drink. They don't smoke. They're kind. They're, they're respectful. Finally, she said, we just don't want you to forget us and, and where you came from. Hmm. I said, our church teaches us. Um, so if anything else, they teach us to be respectful of our family and our ancestors. They're really close in line with what, what I, how I was raised. So I, I, it helps me to be a better person. She said, well, if that's the case, then okay. So I told the elders, they were so happy, and they said, did you know that you know your friends, us, people in the ward, they were been fasting for you because we knew that you were going to make this call soon. Hmm. So well, that was a blessing. Yeah. And then I uh, got baptized, and that led to a mission. Yes. And where'd you serve? California Arcadia Mission. Nice. I'm California Sacramento, so we're sort of rivals, but it's all right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, well, uh, we have Disneyland. What do you guys have? Uh, we have um, uh, farm fields and, uh, Corn and rain. Um, let me see. <laughs> we got nothing. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so and ever since your mission, I mean, you just really never looked back, right? That, that really solidified your conviction. Well, there's a side story to that. When I told my parents, what, when you talk to Chinese parents, they said, what, what do you hope your children will, will become? They'll always say, oh, a doctor or an attorney, mm -hmm. because then they can go brag about it with their family and friends, right? <laughs> and so they said, what, what, what's your son going to do? And they don't want to say he wants to go on a mission. So when I told my parents that, they just flipped out. And they said, absolutely not. And I said, I feel right. Right. This, this is what I need to do. I prayed. I feel like this is what I need to do. It's going to bless my life. So my parents, my, my dad said, then, you know, we don't need to talk to you. I have nothing to say. Hmm. And so I uh, had like a it work. Was like a disowning type of feeling? That yes. Was, you know, wow. Yes. Wow. And then what happened from there? So I worked two or three jobs uh -huh. to try to save money for my mission. And uh, back then, you pay for the exact amount that, that you, you owe. So if you go to um, Mexico and you pay 80 bucks, like 
you're sitting pretty sweet. Yeah. But if you go to California to, or somewhere or Europe else, or, yeah. three or four or five hundred dollars. Yeah. And I gotta come up with that. Wow. So California, I mean that's the generally more expensive place that, you know, in the United States, I'd say, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So I'm gonna fast forward to um do you, you've you've earned a PhD and you, the focus is in organizational leadership. Was that when did the PhD happen and and what encouraged you to maybe go into that leadership organizational leadership? Well, Kirk, I've I've always been fascinated in leadership, and I will watch different people and how they lead and and uh, I've listened to your podcast, I've listened to people, and I I love the the questions you ask and I try to extract their leadership philosophy or their leadership nuggets that I can gain from as well as watching TED Talks. Mm -hmm. So I've always been fascinated, but this came about kind of in an interesting way. Um, after I got married, things kind of became so, so much more smooth with my family. I think they just fell in love with my wife and it was just a, a fun experience now that we have an interracial marriage and we come home and they introduce their daughter-in-laws. This is my daughter-in-law from America. Here's a funny side story. When we chose to get married in the temple, in the Salt Lake Temple, um, I had to make one more difficult phone call. <laughs> There's more long-distance charges that really that are difficult calls. <laughs> oh, uh, the money you can make back, but boy, those <laughs> yeah. those uh, anxieties are there. I, I felt like all the obstacles that I've had with my family, with my parents, had to do with the church. Getting baptized, going on a mission, getting married in the temple. Uh -huh. I tell them about my proposal and my marriage. They're so excited. They're, they said, "Is there a Chinese restaurant there that you can we can host it, <laughs> or a country club?" Well, actually, I'm getting married in the temple. Well, how many people can you have? Like, how many people can we bring? Well, mom, that actually you, you can't come inside. And there was just a moment of long pause mm. that I thought I just like. I just kill them softly, and that that they they are just deeply hurt, hmm. and that was a long conversation. And so my dad said, "Why would we fly nine thousand miles to get to Salt Lake City, Utah, just to wait outside our son's own wedding? I'm not coming." Oh wow! Yeah, that was a difficult and, moment and in my life. Did they keep and, that promise? Um, my mom softened his heart. Oh, nice. And he came, and I had a good friend who um, served his mission in Taiwan, and and out of goodness of his heart, him and his wife rented a limo and picked up my parents and took him to Salt Lake and lined up a uh, sister missionary that spoke Chinese and gave him a temple tour. And I, we went inside and got married. And typically where your dad was set, it was someone else. Mm -hmm. Where your mom was set, it was someone else. It was sweet to be with my wife, to be with her for eternity through the sacred ordinance, but it was difficult because my family wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So we get done and we get changed, we come out, and I see my mom standing there. When you come up out of the basement there, she's, she's standing right there. And my friend said, did you know that your mom has been standing there for 40 minutes because she did not want to miss her son coming out of the temple? So they ended their tour early. Hmm. I was so deeply touched, yeah, and I thought, great. well, they still love me. Yeah. But they were so happy by the ex whole experience that my dad invited my wife and I to go to Taiwan in December during Christmas break to have a traditional Chinese wedding. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> it get, gets pretty good. Yeah. So she said, we're going to make a traditional Chinese dress for your wife. So they took measurements, and within two days, they like custom made this silk dress. And then they said, we want to uh, rent her another dress because I don't know if they seem pride and prejudice. So they went to the dress <laughs> shop and pull out this like big poofy British traditional dress. My wife's like, oh my word, I, I, I look like a lampshade. <laughs> I said, hey, when in Rome, right? So now you're in Asia. So she went with the flow and we show up and we stand in front of everyone. There's probably about 20 tables. Each table seats about 10 to 12 guests. It's a course meal. So they make lobsters, they make 20 lobster plates and they bring them all out. Before, before that, my dad made a speech and they made us like bow to um, 
bow to, to heaven, bow to them, bow to each other. We did it because it was a very, um, it, it was a custom. Uh-huh. So it was a cultural experience, not a religious experience. And then afterwards, my dad said, to my, to my amazement, surprise, he said, everyone, please excuse my son and his wife. They're Mormons. They don't drink wine. So when he toasts them, please don't pour them wine. And I thought, I, would, I have never thought I would hear the day that my dad would defend my faith. Wow. That was one highlight. So for anyone listening, if you are wondering if that deliverance will ever come, you just hold out faithful and trust in the Lord, and the time will come where what you want and wish for will be granted. That's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, uh, and so, and did you meet your wife at BYU? And, and No, we were set up on a blind date. Oh, nice. And uh, she was already working. I was working as a seminary teacher. I wasn't married. And we were set up on a blind date. And just the awkward 20 questions, what's your favorite food, favorite pizza? <laughs> and, and do you like Chinese food? Do you like Chinese children? <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I didn't ask that. Nice. So, um, and then, so getting to the, you know, your graduate work and, and whatnot, when did that just, I mean, is that something you always want to do as you're teaching seminary? Because I know you, I've heard you get paid a little bit more the more advanced degrees you have. Was that maybe the motivation? Well, that that is true in pretty much like any um, educational yeah, yeah. system, right? right? Whether it's like a school district or seminary institutes. I was really, I felt prompted to do that when I really didn't have much of an interest. So I finished my master's and I and then I got this calling. So I dove right in with Rob Farrell and you just don't have time to go to school uh-huh. when you're when when you have a calling like that. And uh, then we got asked to go to California to be uh, institute directors and coordinator. And I had this just feeling that I should. So I apply and I got accepted. And I was getting ready to jump in, but my dad got sick that July. So I went back to visit him. And then I came back. And then probably within about three weeks, he passed away. Hmm. And that was at the end of August. So I went back to pay our respects and um, settle his affairs. And maybe that's a story for another day, where my wife and I went together to a Buddhist funeral. And everyone's watching us to see what we would do. And we did it in such a respectful manner that they were so impressed, especially with my wife, who's a foreigner, mm-hmm. who was very respectful of the Chinese culture. That that's it was incredible. That's awesome. So I came back, I was just wasn't in the mood. And I uh I deferred for a year. The next year I jumped into it. And, and what school was this through? It's called University of Laverne. I, okay. I I thought about USC and apply, but then I realized that you have to mortgage a house to go to school there, <laughs> yeah. and I wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. So for a fraction of the price, I went to University of Laverne to get a doctoral degree in organizational leadership. Nice, nice. And um, you know, looking back, like coming out of organizational leadership, what were some of the the principles that uh, maybe you thought was most helpful in, in serving in leadership? Because you've had other leadership roles since uh, since your time in that state presidency. Absolutely. Um, in in the organizational leadership realms, they 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 call it the board meeting or powwow. Um, and in the church, we call it council. Mm-hmm. Um, a measure of a true leader is somebody that's willing to listen more than he speaks. Because you, you've heard this quite a bit. If, let's say, your supervisor or your CEO comes in and said, this is our problem, this is what I think we should do, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. Well, nobody in their right mind is going to speak up because you've already already established the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard this saying before. Sometimes uh, uh, Native American chiefs, when they have powwows, they sit in a circle. So everyone has an equal privilege to have a voice, and the chief will speak last so that he can hear all of the councils before he makes a final wise decision. And I think that's the essence of leadership. When we, when we counsel with our councils, 
you will actually receive revelation because revelation is scattered among us, right? Mm-hmm. President Ballard had that book, Counseling with Our Counsel, he shared. And also, um, more importantly, we need to hear more from women in our councils because they have wisdom that sometimes we don't think about and we need to ask them for their input and their feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously you've had various opportunities both in your professional life to work with youth, you know, in the seminary and institute programs and then as in a YSA stake presidency. And and that's what I thought maybe we could go with a lot of our discussion is is understanding how to connect with youth, how to connect or uh, encourage the youth. Uh, you know, this is such a, a difficult time, it seems, uh, you know, to, for those testimonies to grow and flourish, right? So where, where should we begin with as far as understanding youth and helping them progress in the gospel? Absolutely. Um, first of all, I think you need to understand them and understand where they're at and where you like to, where do you, where do you think the Lord wants to take them? Mm-hmm. Um, in my dissertation, I study millennials as well as Gen Z. And Elder Holland in um, Seminary Institute's annual training broadcast, he shares some of the characteristics of Gen Z. They've always been exposed to pornography. They've been wired to something in the um, internet or cell phones or earbuds or Google. They're post-Christians. Almost a quarter of the Americans' adults are nuns. Few believe in God. 52% of the teens do not identify with any religion. Only 37% believe in God. Hmm. So those are astounding statistics that we need to take a look and and we need to reach out and teach correct doctrine and allow them to govern themselves. Yeah. So there's this movement of, you know, when you mentioned nuns, those referring to those individuals who don't have an affiliation with a formal religion, right? They do, or they leave the faith of their fathers. Yeah. And they, they feel like, I don't have to have an organized religion in order to have a happy, productive life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, Kirk, some of my... I, I've been teaching at BYU um, this summer as a visiting professor, and some of my students have came up to me in conversation said, I thought about leaving organized religion. And I wasn't surprised, obviously, because I deal with young single adults quite a bit. So you better believe I hung on to these students and have conversations with them often. And in my lessons, I have those individuals in mind because we don't want them to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything like intentionally you do as you teach? Um, I mean, or is it just mainly just pointing them to the doctrines and hopefully teaching them clearly or, or any, any tips on, on maybe how to encourage those youth to not turn into nuns, right? No religion. Um, I have a couple things that I, that I would um, advocate. One is ask, don't tell. Hmm. Sometimes when you have this uh, lesson that you're so thrilled about, like, for example, if, uh, if a youth leader is getting ready to teach Ammon, and they'll go, oh, I love this story, uh, and emphasize the cutting off arms, maybe bring out a sore and, and talk about this warrior mentality. And I don't believe that our youth want to hear those things. I think rather we need to ask them, if if you were there, what what do you think Ammon would want you to learn from his experience? Why do you think the Lord put this story here for us? Mm-hmm. If we ask them and allow them to analyze it and internalize it for themselves, you and I would be so amazed at the answers they can come up with. I learn from these youth and I learn from these young single adults. They're just brilliant. They're incredible. So ask and don't tell. And number two is, please do not try to change their behavior. Sometimes as parents, we get in, into this panic mode where we have to push the panic button. And then you think of, you, you think of things like that will give you a quick behavior modification. We're the, we're the Church of Jesus Christ. We're not a drive through church where you order food, you get your food and you get out of there within three minutes. It doesn't work that fast, <laughs> right? Right. And so I would say that um, we need to um, not only teach them correct principles, but we also need to allow them to self-discover. I'll, I'll give you an example. I've been teaching at BYU Education Week this week, this week, and one of the moms asked me this question about how do you 
get your your teenagers to listen to pay attention? I said, first of all, they have agency, and if we say something and they don't respond immediately or or have a behavior modification, that doesn't mean we fail. We need to allow them time to to choose to analyze it. Well, what would you say? I said, I'll give you an example. Let's say your child comes home late from curfew. And what's the very first question we would ask when they come in the door? Where have you been? Where have you been? (laughs) Why are you late? And they know that you're going to be pulling out your your, uh, verbal pistol and fire away. So they're very careful. They close the door very silently. They see who's (laughs) awake and see what mood their parents are in. So you always have a teddy bear parent. So they're praying that if dad's a softy, that dad's up, then you can just kind of <laughs> sell your story. Yeah. And so if we ask them that question, we're almost encouraging them to do what? To avoid you. Or be a little yeah. dishonest. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. So I would advocate that when they come in the door, your first question is, did you have fun tonight? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Right? And this, this throws them off, right? They're expecting a lecture. Right. And and you don't say that with sarcasm or like, oh, did you have fun? Yeah. <laughs> you and must you, have. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a, a baseball bat behind your back. Did you have fun? <laughs> it's not one of those mafia mentalities, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you genuinely ask them. And then the second question I would advocate is, do you know why we have curfews? And their typical response, because the Holy Ghost goes to bed at... Midnight, whatever curfew yeah, you whatever said. Whatever curfew, 11, midnight. <laughs> and I think that's absurd because Holy Ghost is a person of the spirit. He does not need sleep. So <laughs> that, that, that's not even true doctrine, right? <laughs> and, and how many prophets do we know in the scriptures that get woken up at three in the morning by the spirit? So obviously, Holy Ghost doesn't need to sleep. So they'll say that and you'll say, well, not exactly. Science have proven that the longer you stay up, the more brain cells get killed off. And what you wouldn't do during the daytime, you would do at night. So if your buddies, let's say, for example, hey, let's break into the golf course right after school. No, that's ridiculous. I'm not going. Well, all of a sudden at midnight, I say, hey, it's Joe and John, <laughs> and we're all going to go. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Okay. So talking to bishops, they said that sometimes what he had found is um, his youth gets into immoral behaviors usually after dark. So I would say it's to protect you spiritually. That's why we have a curfew. And physically, a lot of patrons are lit out of bars sometime around curfew. So you're on the road with a bunch of people that have blood alcohol content that's not fit for them to operate a vehicle. So we have curfew because we love you. We want you to come home to us. It's to protect you spiritually and physically. That's why we have it. Hmm. Yeah. And then you just see their hearts just soften and they just melt. And then they immediately say, oh, I'm so sorry. Then you say, now, would you like to tell me where you were? Then they're more opt to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not, you know, that that verbal pistol of, and even that's firing, uh, you know, uh, their sentence that you know that you're three weeks grounded or whatever. You won't get me your yeah. cell phone. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, and we do that, you know, with the intent to, uh, you know, modify behaviors, hopefully, but you know, sort of that that threaten that threat that does does that, but uh, you know, approaching it with love and understanding and trying to explain. You know, I remember with my nine year old daughter. Oftentimes, I'll say like. Like Devery, this is like my job. Like God sent you to my house, and He expects me to to make sure I teach you these things, right? And so I'm not trying to just be mean or get you in trouble. Like this is my job, and she's like, "I know, Dad." You know, so you know, approaching that in love is it goes a long way, right? Yeah, and being a parent, it's a very um, slow or delayed gratification position. Hmm. Because sometimes they don't appreciate you until they go on a mission. Then six, three or six months into it, you get that, um, re- like, I'm sorry letter or I'm thankful letter for doing my laundry, washing my clothes. Or like, we waited this long, yeah, right? The, the parental payday, right? Yes. 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 
Awesome. And and going back to your ask, don't tell, I really appreciate this concept because, you know, you're talking about Ammon, like, oh, I'd, I'd love to teach the youth the lesson about Ammon because we can talk about arms getting chopped off and this, you know, superhero figure and, and show the Freeberg, you know, pit, picture of these massive biceps, you know, like I'd love to teach that. And then you get to the Isaiah lesson, you think, uh, how do I make Isaiah cool, you know, but instead approaching everything with, with asking, don't worry about telling them anything, but what's a list of questions you can approach the class with. Yeah. Right? And so then they would skip the second Nephi's because there's nothing <laughs> right. cool about it. But I, I would also advocate that we um, lead our children into the scriptures, lead our, lead our youth into the scriptures and let the sp- scriptures speak to them. I, mm. I had an experience and I, I uh, hope I'm forgiven for this, but um, we tell our children, you cannot be on the computer when mom and dad are not home. Mm. And and uh, they, they would know that because you might look at things that you shouldn't. So... They know that, and one day I was coming home from work. My wife wasn't there. I went to push the remote button on the garage door opener. It wouldn't open. So I thought, oh, shoot. So I go up to the door. I look through the window, and I see one of our child in front of the computer. So whenever you catch your child doing something you're not supposed to, what do you do? What do you typically do? <laughs> that verbal pistol again, right? You want to, you so know what? help me. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing you want to do is ask him, what have you been doing? And if they obviously out of fear, they don't tell the truth. And you're like, I saw you through the window. <laughs> then you want to take a verbal like stick and beat them over the head with it. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't change anybody's behavior. Yeah, it that definitely... righteous indignation, right? Like, I saw you, you liar. Like, yeah. you're right. <laughs> so I get back in my car and say, little prayers, Heavenly Father, please help me. If somehow we can make this into a teaching moment, Hmm. um, it would be a tremendous blessing because we love our children. We just want them to grow up, to be connected to Jesus Christ and not not, uh, keep the commandments because they're afraid of what mom and dad would say or think or do. So I I knocked on the door and I stepped back and our child opens the door. Hi, dad, what are you doing? Oh, the garage door wouldn't open. Can you open it for me? Sure. And I pulled the car in and I said, hey, how are things going? Did you have a good day? Yeah. I said, hey, I, um, I've been reading something in the scriptures. Can I share with you? Will you go grab your scriptures? Sure. So they grabbed their scriptures. This is a life as a, as a child of a seminary uh, teacher, right? Oh, you know. <laughs> and we all should do it. But anyway, yeah. you're, you're ready to go. You're ready you, to teach. You could say this is a life of a podcast host father or <laughs> yeah, that's right. car mechanic. Like anyone could pick this up and do this. Yes, yes. Um, So we went through and I talked about Heavenly Father's plan in Moses chapter 4. You have to teach age appropriate. Mm -hmm. So you don't sit there and give a half an hour lecture if their child was like 8 or 9 or 10 or 11. So I go as long as their age. Just make sure that like I don't overkill this experience. So if they're 10, you go 10 minutes type of thing. That's like your general plan. Or less. less, Yeah. Yeah. And so... um, then, then we go to Moses chapter 4, verse 4, because um, Lucifer was not chosen to lead this plan, the plan of happiness. He became angry. He's, and the scripture says he became the father of all lies to try to deceive, um, deceive and blind men. And I said, if you're the father of something, what does that mean? Because I don't know. If you're the fa- who's the father of aviation? I don't know. Who's the father of Apple? Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> We're in trouble here. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we, our history needs to be taught a little bit better. And and so I said, if you're the father of something, you created it. You it it's who you are. So could we say that if we are more loving and kind, we become more like Jesus Christ and honest. But if we are mean and rude and we are dishonest, we become more like the Father of all lies, who is the. I said the Father of. He goes, all lies, which is the devil. And at this moment, I, I wish I could say, I wanted to say to this child, I'm so glad you don't lie to me, and then walk away. <laughs> the yeah. temptation was there, but I didn't take the shot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I said to this child, um, thank you for allowing me to have this conversation. And I got up to change, and I could just see like his, this child's mind just goes, and something clicks. His eyes get big, and he goes, Hey, Dad, 
can I share something? Yeah. Actually, I was on the computer when you weren't home before you got home. And I just wanted to melt and just hug this child because you see that the Holy Ghost is working in him. And I, and I just hugged this child and said, it's okay. I'm just so glad that you can be honest. And let's just pinky swear that we'll always be honest with each other no matter what. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I was watching like Phineas and Ferb or some Disney thing. And you know, you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh. <laughs> yeah, but but I've never forgotten that experience, mm -hmm. Kurt. And and for anyone that's listening out there, I wish that sharing the scripture will yield such fruit and such an accelerated pace. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work that way, but you're planting seeds, and one day it will grow and be fruitful, and you'll be glad you did. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, under the the topic of like reaching youth, like like you said, it's not something that there's a secret tactic that if you just do A, B, and C, like then then you'll reach them. Like it's this constant nurturing and planting seeds, and and not resulting to uh, you know or not reacting with anger in in some of these these circumstances. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, you've had opportunity to serve in the mission presidency. In what what mission was it? Well. Interestingly enough, when we got asked to to take this position with seminaries and institutes, it was actually in my mission. Oh, that's cool. So I lived in the mission that I had served as a young man. And you were excited about that, I bet. I didn't know what to think, <laughs> um, but I was grateful because we felt the spirit that this was where we're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Nice. And was it another phone call, like that state president's seat call, that you just get a random call and, and suddenly you're being called into an office? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was less dramatic than that. <laughs> I get this phone call, and uh, they offer the position. And I was thinking, jokingly. Offer position as like, the institute director. Yeah. Okay. I said, so were there not enough people that apply? or Because <laughs> um, I'm thinking, are they scraping the bottom of the barrel? and. He's like, well, contrary, there's actually quite a, a large number of people that wanted to, but we felt like you would be a good fit. So I went, and probably within two months, I get called in, and I was asked to serve in the mission presidency. Again, to my surprise, I thought, shouldn't there be some like older gentleman with gray hair, more <laughs> like distinguished, and uh -huh. here I am. Now, so I'm curious, who calls a... A, a member of a, a mission presidency. Is it the mission president or? The mission president gets permission from the stake president. And then he was the one that called me. The stake, your stake president? The mission president. Oh, the mission president. Yeah. Okay. So, he called you. You suddenly, one day you just have this appointment with the mission president and uh, he extends the call. Yeah. I, well, I, I work a lot with the mission missionaries. So mm -hmm. for him to ask to meet with me, because we were doing a, and some type of open house at my institute. Mm. And it was supposed to be a missionary effort where we invite people on campus to come over to check out our institute. And we had some displays of, of our church and our beliefs. And we were morphed that into a missionary effort. So I thought he was coming to talk about that. Oh, nice. You yeah. didn't even see it coming. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. Yeah, nice. And that was, uh, so you served with that mission president for three years? and. Uh, it was uh, almost uh, it was almost that time. I kind of yeah. I lose track of time. Yeah, but it was a good amount of time that you had some great experiences. Some incredible experiences. I so my first experience was uh, an interview of a man who's been incarcerated, and typically, when you want to get baptized, the district leader or zone leader come and do the, the baptismal interview to make sure you understand the doctrine, what you're committed to do, and so on and so forth. Do you have any other questions or issues? You don't want it to surface right after they get baptized, mm -hmm. right? But if you get to certain issues such as incarceration, probation, abortion, or if they're from uh, a country where the church isn't recognized, mm -hmm. then that's where a member of the mission presidency comes in to do the interview. So I go in and... Uh, it was in kind of a shady part of town in, in uh, the greater Los Angeles County. Even Sacramento has those those shady parts. No, of town. yeah, yeah, believe it or not. So, um, <laughs> you know, obviously coming from we we had lived in Utah. Coming from Utah, I thought, okay, maybe I should run real fast from the parking lot to because <laughs> on the side where I parked, it was a little bit darker, and I 
and I didn't know where missionaries were. And when I saw someone coming out of the building, I thought, I'm going to run in. And I don't see the elders, but I saw this man. He had this like really big oversized white shirt, no, no tie, no tie button up and long baggy pants. And I could see a little bit of tattoo up his neck and I kind of smiled at him, he smiled at me. And I said, so you're here meeting someone? He goes, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm here for my baptismal interview. I said, oh, that's with me. Then the elders came in, present, oh, I'm so sorry, we waited for you on the other side. Hmm. And I thought, man, I almost got kidnapped. You didn't <laughs> wait for me on the right side. So we go and have an interview and this man was so humble and so teachable. And, and his story was, um, didn't know his dad, his mom passed away. So when he turned 18, he left this foster family situation and got in, involved with the wrong crowd. And uh, he uh, was escaping from the law enforcement officers and got into an accident and unfortunately became a, um, someone who was responsible for a vehicular manslaughter. Oh, wow. With the car, and so he went to went to jail. And over time, um, because of good behavior, he was he was allowed to have a little more freedom while he was in jail. And Sunday, they said, "Anyone that wants to go to church, you're welcome to." And so, Catholics down this hall, Protestants, Methodists, Jewish, the Latter Day Saints, and so he kind of got out late. And I think he might have, I can't remember the story, but I think he went into the wrong door. And the door shut, and he, and he saw the copy of the Book of Mormon, and he said, this is not my church, but you're not allowed to leave after you go in for security purposes. <laughs> uh -huh. So he's there, and he sat there, and he said that this uh, sweet grandma lady came and opened up the hymn book, and he did not want to look at it, but the words of the page like came to his, like fell, he, his eyes fell up on the page and said, lead me, guide me, walk beside me, help me find a way. So you're familiar with a hymn, and it, it spoke to him. Huh. So he continued to go back, and uh, he was learning all these things. And this sweet sister said, when you get out, will you please find our church and talk to the missionaries? He said, I will. So he gets out and uh, walked into the church building, sees the elders. He said, hi, my name is so-and-so, and... I want to get, be baptized in your church. This is like one of those like <laughs> Leahona moments. So the elders kind of looked at each other and they said, uh, for real? Yes. Well, we can help you with that. So they teach him and they get to this point and this is where I come in. So I said, tell me, um, do you have any issues with church or church attendance? He's like, um, yeah. And I thought, oh, shoot. He said, I don't drive, so I get on the bus, and if there's more people that get on, the bus route makes me like five minutes late for church, and I feel really bad. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Do you know all those times we drag our kids with Cheerios falling out the bag, leading a trail into the chapel, <laughs> and he's five minutes late, and I'm like, I think, I think God would understand. How about the scriptures? Do you love the Book of Mormon? Yeah. Well, who's your favorite character? Nephi. So you like how he built a boat, and... Well, I was talking about Nephi that met Jesus when he came. I go, well, how much of the Book of Mormon have you read? He said, all of it. And the Doctrine and Covenants. And the Pearl of Great Price. And I thought, wow. He said, the Bible is a little bit hard. I'm working on it. I said, you're a fast reader. He goes, well, I had a lot of time in prison. <laughs> so, wow. so this happens. And... Uh, he goes through and he's just sweet and I felt the spirit very humble. And at the end of our interview, I said, my friend, um, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you meet the fruits of baptism. Like I feel good about signing off that you should be baptized. But the not so good news is because you're on probation, we have to write a letter um, seeking permission, permission from the first presidency and and uh, give you permission to get baptized. Well, how long does that take? I said, I don't know. It could be four weeks, six weeks. I just don't know. He goes, well, I've waited this long. I can wait. Hmm. So I hugged him and came out, went on our way. He went on his way, and the elders always look at you afterwards like, well, well. 
And they said, well, I'm, I'm going to turn this report into the mission president, get his approval, and we're going to send out this letter to get approval so he can be baptized because I feel like he meets the fruits of baptism. They said, yay, well, how long is that going to take? I said, I don't know, four to six weeks, maybe eight. So one elder said, oh, so maybe like one transfer. They tell time by yeah, transfer. I remember those days, yes. <laughs> the other elder kind of hung his head. And I said, elder, what's wrong? He goes, well... He wanted me to baptize him, but I'm going home in less than a month. I said, could you come back? Uh, financially, it's just not possible for our family. I'm so sorry, but I, I, I'm trying to think of all the right things to say. I'll uh, FaceTime you in. I'll, 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 you count this as your baptism. The Lord is pleased with you, and he understood. So I went home, wrote it right away. President approved. I sent it off. Every week they would text me or call me. President Chang, how are you? Fine. I said, I didn't. I know you didn't call me to talk about the weather. So, I'm sorry I didn't get the letter. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't get it. So going to the third week, I didn't get the letter. So he's given up hope, right? And I felt so bad. I pray, Heavenly Father, if there's a way, please get that letter. So um, by Thursday of the third week, I get the letter that they approve for him to get baptized. They just, he just can't uh, receive the priesthood or go to the temple to the end of his probation uh, with uh, with his parole officer, right, Till he's out, out of parole. So this is great. So thir- uh, I think Friday I call them. They say, hey, how's it going? I say, hey, Elder, I'm just wondering what... Um, are you packed? Are you ready to go? I know you're leaving soon. Yeah, next week I'm leaving. I'm going home. Well, I just want to tell you thank you for serving a wonderful mission and sure love you. And I got a letter and he got approved to be to get baptized. Goodbye. <laughs> and I held the phone. They're like, hello, hello. I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm still here. Oh, don't do this to us. I said, congratulations. I said, President, we're doing a happy dance right now. So they planned the baptism. He gets baptized on Saturday, gets confirmed on Sunday. This elder packed his bags on Monday. He goes home on Tuesday. Oh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. And he got to the, the participate just like he planned. His last baptism. That's and awesome. I love missionary work, Kurt. Yeah. I, I love working with the full-time missionaries. Yeah. And that it's, was one highlight. So over those years serving that mission presidency, like what did you learn as far as, you know, encouraging missionaries, how maybe how to, you know, we could better prepare missionaries, anything like that? Thank you for asking that question. Um Obviously, prior to going out, I served with Rob Farrell on the Yangtze Adult State Presidency, mm-hmm. and I was floored the first time I've heard it. Somewhere about one-fourth or one-third of our return missionaries at one time go inactive, and I thought, how can they go inactive? You watch Call to Serve. You see the music videos. They're <laughs> baptizing people, and uh, they come they come and run across that banner. Everyone's got cowbells at Salt Lake International Airport. Like, they were out serving as missionaries. Then when I went out as, and served with the missionaries close up, I, I, I realized that um, my opinion is there's some things I think we could improve upon because we, so, we focus so much on baptism, but that's, that's the fruit, that's the result of conversion. Rather, I think we need to focus on conversion so the, the missionaries don't go out work like like they're scared or they're terrified that they're not going to meet their goals. Mm-hmm. And this is what I call control the controllables. It goes back to what Elder Cook said to me. You can't set goals and infringe upon other people's agencies. So if you say this month I want to baptize four people, that means that you have to get four people to exercise their agency in your favor in order for you to be successful if we measure our worth as missionaries, as, as a successful missionary by numbers, then how are you ever going to be successful? Because you can't control that. That control is taken from you. So I call it, we need to control the controllables. Hmm. Why not say every week, my goal is I'm going to talk to 25 new people. When we visit church members, we're going to leave them with a message and a prayer with an invitation for them to invite a non-member to come have an activity at your home we could pray for them, and we could do follow-up. And those are the things that we can control. 
you can set goals on those and really zone in on them. You can set goals on baptisms, but they should be tucked away in the back of your mind and not be your driving force on why you're working as a missionary. Hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, is that was that a big focus or uh, effort in, in the context of the mission? That making well, sure in, that... in every mission. Yeah, yeah. In every mission. Yeah. That, that's... That's their focus. And in some missions, they even, or some areas, they even like rank number of baptism by mission. Hmm. And some of those are emailed out to the mission presidents. How would you like to be number 34 or 34? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not encouraging for sure. No, for sure. it's, it's not easy. And the other thing I want to add to is um, how as parents, we can help support our full-time missionaries. Sometimes the, as parents, we really want to, uh, that, that day would say, well, how many people did you baptize? Or are you, are, when are you, you going to be a district leader or STL? So uh, sometimes parents focus on extrinsic rewards, like the outward rewards. And so now all of a sudden the missionaries, they feel like, yeah, I, I should be training. I should be a district leader. I should be a zone leader. And if I'm lucky, I'll be an AP or STL. That puts a lot of stress and pressure on them, especially if the mission president in any mission would say, if you want to be a leader in this mission, you will baptize. So what are they doing? They're going out baptizing anybody that would say yes to them instead of going through the conversion process. Hmm. So that makes me nervous. And I would always, when I teach at Education Week, I counsel parents by saying, Ask the following questions instead. Um, tell me a spiritual experience you've had. Tell me who you're working with that our families can help pray for and, and uh, fast for. I, can you tell me this week if you've seen the hand of God in your life? The other thing I, 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 um, I want to emphasize is this. Sometimes parents will say, um, do you get along with your companion? Well, nobody gets along with everyone all of the time, right? Right. There are some things that bother us. They take too long of a shower or they <laughs> cut into your portion of the lesson and, or they don't talk or they don't eat the food you like. So when we ask that, it, it's almost an invitation for our children to gripe to us, hmm. right? So instead, you would say, what have you learned from your companion? Hmm. What is a Christ-like attribute that you like about your companion? When was the last time you served your companion? Can you tell me the time when you, you two have become more unified, you felt like you were one, or do you witness a miracle together? Do you, do you notice the difference? Yeah. In our verbiage, we can really help and support our missionaries. So they see the value of personal conversion and loving those whom the Lord has entrusted in their care as opposed to, I need to hit numbers, I need to hit these leadership positions. These, these are not boardrooms with stockholders. Yeah. We're talking about people's salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, one thing just occurred to me as you talk about these effective questions, um, you know, just because I haven't been a, a missionary parent yet, but, you know, now that there's these weekly calls home through Zoom or whatever, you know, but when we were out, we write a, a letter home and they read it and they hear experiences, but there's not this back and forth as much. Um, and so to be prepared with some really good questions as that weekly Zoom call comes around, rather than say, oh, are you getting along with your companion? Rather say, you know. Yeah, and you definitely don't say, hey, guess what? We're going to Lake Powell next week. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and focus on the, and the work and the spirituality of Exactly. Of and those calls, they don't have to be long. Mm -hmm. They don't. Some, some mission presidents that I've heard, they're very wise. They said, uh, you know, you have from this time to this time and just be wise and respectful of your companion's time. Mm -hmm. If your companion's ready to go and you're talking, so be considerate and kind, but they don't set a minimum or maximum amount of limits because they know that family that dynamics are different. If you have a stepdad and stepmom, you're essentially talking to two sets of parents. Yeah. Right, and if you have a less active uncle or, or grandpa, then you got to add that in there. Yeah, yeah. So just to be really intentional with with some of those those conversations. So, well, before we wrap up, uh, you know, I have a few wrap up questions. But where I, I'm, what what are we missing? Any any point or principle? 
couple things, and I, I love if you permit me to share a quick experience, if it's okay, um, afterwards. I, if I had a magic wand, I, I would wish that our full-time missionaries would have the opportunity to take institute while they're on their missions. Hmm. And I'll explain why. During the pandemic, they were all quarantined, right? They can't go anywhere. So I talked to a mission president about the possibilities of teaching institute on Zoom once a week. I'll hit it 50 minutes. It's on the Book of Mormon, something that they can use and be, and be relevant in their work. But also I think you're witnessing good teaching and they're having a spiritual experience. Because at, let's say on one o'clock on a Wednesday, there's not a lot of people you can teach. People are, are at work, but yet they can get a, a spiritual experience in. So we did that all through quarantine. And those were some of the highlights. You got to remember some of these young men, they came out at the age of 18. They never attended institute. So they don't know what it is, but several of them have said, wow, Brother Chang, I've gained the testimony of institute. I, I realized how much I need this in my life. When I go home, I'm definitely going to sign up for institute. So number one, I think they should they should take institute. In fact, I will go as far as saying they should help team teach institute. Hmm. If you want to help convert these young missionaries, what do you do? You get them teaching. When they get depressed or having a hard time, it's because they're not busy, engaged, they're not teaching. And number two, I wish there was time maybe every zone conference or on a quarterly basis, allow them to take like a self-reliance course, goal setting, mental health, um, education, things that they need, right? Mm -hmm. I've, I've worked with some missionaries that had had struggled with mental health, with, with whether it's anxieties or depression, and there's a mission counselor that they can go see. And I would tell them often that, um, don't worry about stigma. I think it's a great thing. Even if you feel like, I'm fine, go and visit for half an hour with a mission counselor and just check in. And just make sure that you're doing good, you're on track. And those that, that get it, that go and, and have that opportunity, it's there, it's provided for them. They maintain their mental health and their main, mental age edge. And hmm. I really really love seeing that. Um, and typically, that's, is that a call of the, the mission president? or Yeah, they will counsel with the mission president uh -huh. to get permission. And then they can do maybe create something. Set up an appointment and, and, yeah. and go do that. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Anything else we're missing? Yeah. I, I tell you, these missionaries, they're faithful. They're loyal. They're hardworking. And when they see uh, the fruits of their labors, true conversion leads to an act an act of faith, whether it's, it's a, a youth going to repent to the bishop or someone said, I want to get baptized or I want to go through the temple or I want to go on a mission. When you go through true conversion, you, it's an act of faith. Here's one more thing I want to add that I've learned, that we focus on repentance, but repentance isn't the key. It's not the main dish. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ leads to repentance hmm. or change of heart. So if we focus on faith in Jesus Christ, then everything else will really fall into place. Yeah, I love that. So good. So as you reflect back on your time, you know, serving in various leadership roles, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? That's a great question. And I've heard this on your podcast I know, many this times, is, yeah. and, I, and I love it. <laughs> and, I, and I remember um, listening to your podcast, and I thought, man, I... If I were asked that question, what would I say? I've never thought that I would make it on your show. So, <laughs> well, the day a, has come. What Here a treat we... for me! Thank you. Um, <laughs> being a leader, um, it could be a lonely place, and I think you, you've been a bishop. You know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, we we put ourselves in the leader's shoes. And we realize that maybe I need to complain a little bit less and support a little bit more. So, being a leader got me on the other side of the street and helped me to realize that it's not glamorous, it's not fun, and nobody likes you 100% of the time, and we need to be supportive to be a better follower. I think the perfect example was Jesus Christ. He's the perfect leader because he was the perfect follower. Many times in the scriptures he would say, I, I do what I, I see my father doeth, or, or do my father's will. 
He was a follower. That's what makes him a great leader. So the essence of leadership is to be an exceptional follower. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's where great leadership's discovered. Right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. Maybe send this individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And for more information about the Single Saints Virtual Summit, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash singleadults. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.